0: Welcome to The Exchange, a podcast from Grace Church, an independent Bible
1: teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. In this podcast, we examine the world through
0: a grace perspective and connect biblical truth in everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Exchange podcast. My name is Nolan Smith. I am the High school and college pastor here at Grace Church. Today, I am joined by our senior pastor Lance Bourgeois, and our pastor of communications Jeff Metter. Thanks for being here, guys. Hey, Nolan, glad to be here. It'll be great. All right, so we are continuing a series that we started last week on Christians and pop culture, and so essentially the the idea of this series is to examine what it what it looks like for. People who are walking with Jesus, following Jesus, and and we're you know inundated by pop culture, and so you have got TV and movies and sports and music and social media. Those are the ones; those are the topics specifically that we're really talking about. But what does it look like to engage with those things in a way that is wise, in a way that won't you know hinder our relationship with Jesus, uh, that that will. Um, allow us to to really grow in our faith, and so there's just a lot of questions that are involved in that, and that's what we want to look at today. Specifically, we're going to look today at movies, TV, and social media, and so we'll start with TV and movies. This is, uh, I mean, honestly, all these things are interesting to me, and I enjoy all of them. But uh, you know, I I consider myself. A, a big fan of movies I watch a lot of Netflix and stuff like that so uh so just to sort of set the you know the tone of where what we're talking about, I just want to hear from you guys what you how how you guys engage with this so what are your favorite you know shows or movies um or genres that you like to to watch jeff uh, I'm a nerd. Yeah, and I
1: like fantasy and sci-fi, along with um, political thrillers like FBI, CIA Mm. kind of stuff. Oh yeah, Um, historical, uh, you know, epic productions. Those those are great. I watch a lot of movies. Our movie library is is probably bigger than it needs to be. I don't watch a lot of TV,
0: Mm.
1: uh, but films I like I like most.
0: Well, you know, when you call them films, yes, you're serious. Uh,
1: Cinematography uh, (laughs) is is a hobby of mine.
0: (laughs) I thought you were just going to say cinematography and just let it hang in the air to show that you knew the word. But uh, Lance, what about you?
2: You know, it's funny. I I go back and forth. I think my favorite genre of movie probably is adventure. Uh, I love the Bourne movies. Um, I really enjoy the Mission Impossible movies. Any of that kind of stuff I really like. Uh, I like historical stuff Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of fills out or give me a bigger or broader picture of, of things that have gone on. When it comes to TV, we don't do a lot of comedy stuff, uh, which is funny because, you know, sometimes the stuff we deal with at work uh, is emotionally heavy. And then uh, Ellen and I will, to decompress, watch shows like FBI <laughs> or uh, Law and Order and those kind of movies, excuse me, TV shows. So uh, I don't know. I I think we watch a lot of crime drama stuff, Um, not a lot of sitcom stuff. Mm. Uh, I've been fans of sitcoms before, but I don't think there's anything we're really watching right now. I like documentary stuff because it gives you the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're
0: watching Last Dance right now. Yeah,
2: and loving that and watching that with my son. It's been fun to have the chance to introduce him to uh Michael Jordan yeah, who man. we got to grow up watching and watching him play and he's uh, getting a chance to experience that through this documentary. It's so stuff.
0: crazy to me to think about the the young people, you know, people in my ministry who to them Michael Jordan is a, sort of a relic, you know, he's not I remember watching Michael Jordan but, right. and and so it's so funny to me that they they don't have that concept of like oh yeah, I remember when he did whatever so uh yeah we i've i've been watching the last dance love it um i i you know i'm one of those those people who will rewatch the office over and over and over again you know one of those people who basically has netflix because the office is on it you know and i don't know what i'll do when they take it off um but i i watch uh i watch sitcoms um like the office parks and rec and I, i i enjoy the the comedy genre and then I also like documentaries and historicals. I I watched the the tail end of, I had started it several days before, but I watched the Patriot, you mm-hmm. know, finish that last mm-hmm. night, just first time and and forever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think I have always liked, and I actually have on my on my bookshelf here, I actually have books on things like screenwriting and, uh, you know, storytelling through film because I think it's such an interesting. Medium for communication and, you know, across all cultures, you know, and, um, and I think there's just, there's something about a good movie that you can break it down, you can pull it apart, you can examine it. If it's well made, you know, and it's well thought out in the way that it was scripted and everything, that you, it's, you can study it and just really get into it and and try and understand it on a deeper level that, um, and you can communicate things. Truths in different ways with movie and TV, and I just movies and TV, and I I just think that's really fascinating. I watch video essays on YouTube about (laughs) about where they, you know, like these guys that are screenwriters, you know, and they'll break down, you know, things about a movie, and it's sort of like what the last dance is for Michael Jordan and basketball. This is for you know a a movie, you know, and it goes behind the scenes and stuff like that.
2: You've got Jeff tendencies of cinematography and so so good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: there was a, there was actually a time when I wanted to be a cinematographer when I was way way back when. So, um, so you know, as we talk about, if we, as we talk about uh, TV and movies, where do you guys see that fitting into, you know, God's design? I, I I talk about a little bit of like the storytelling and just humans communicating truths and experiences through that medium. Where do you guys see it fitting into how God created? everything and wants us to live in this world. Jeff?
1: Well, you mentioned storytelling. Um, I think it's a fantastic medium that um, can be used uh, as a pretty impressive um, mode of carrying this sense of creativity that's part of the imago dei, the image of God in us, um, as storytellers and writers and visual artists. Uh, All of those different forms of creativity can come together in movies and uh, combine to tell a story that can um, help us um, see good, help us see evil, help us identify uh, and give some context to our life and our experiences in a way that can be very helpful.
0: Yeah, I agree. Lance, what about you?
2: You know... The storytelling thing, you know, it's interesting how often when uh, Jesus went to the masses is that he's telling parables Mm -hmm. and stories uh, because it draws people in. Uh, You know, I think the best stories tend to be those ones that will engage our emotions. I know that as I interact with people so often, it feels as though... um, in movies in particular seem to go through the back door of our emotions mm-hmm. and that you can visit with people and get to know people, uh, as they tell their story and they can be pretty guarded. And there's something about giving yourself into the movie or that story that we will allow ourselves to feel, uh, things on behalf of other people that we kind of keep at arm's length for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so one of the questions that I've found, uh, Pretty helpful as I get to know people or spend time getting to know people, either in my office or over lunch or whatever, is tell me the the movies that that bring tears to your eyes and and why do they bring tears to your eyes and what you're going to learn about is was it this from you know Forrest Gump was it Rudy when he finally gets in the football game you know is was it Will when. And- when
0: the, the therapist tells him it's not your fault, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it's
2: not your fault. Yeah, what a moment that is. Yeah, you know, you think about Shawshank Redemption and what that mm-hmm. felt like when he finally was able to break free from from the injustice of everything. You know, I, I think that movies do a great job of accessing parts of our emotions and our mind uh, that we shut down, maybe out of self protection. Hmm. Um, that we'll give ourselves to when it's somebody else's story, and what ends up happening is we find ourselves somewhere in that story, yeah. and that's why it grabbed hold of us.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. I love that, and I I love the example of in a in a counseling setting being able to explore something when somebody doesn't know themselves emotionally to be able to to get at that through the experience of of movies. I you know I once heard a film uh, filmmaker say that. If Jesus were alive today, he'd be a filmmaker. Hmm. Um, and for this reason, yeah. you mentioned with the parables. I mean, it was a way for him to communicate. The stories were the way for him to communicate truth. When he could do it, where he could make it easier to understand for some, any, you know, for some people than others. But, um, but I think culturally, you can, you know, there are things that I could, t- I could teach students through a movie that they're very familiar with. I couldn't teach, uh, you know, their parents, for example, the same the same thing through the movie, but I can speak their language. So, you, you know, uh, through, you know, characters that they relate to and using experiences that they're familiar with that their parents wouldn't be familiar with. And, I, you know, I think that's kind of what you see with Jesus. He uses agricultural metaphors a lot. And I think we as pastors a lot of times find ourselves breaking down well okay so you're not necessarily farmers so i'm going to have to you know in studying this i'm gonna have to kind of help you understand the agricultural parts of this or whatever but um but i think that's what movies allow us to do is communicate things in ways that are more helpful sometimes than saying them straightforward and then also uh in ways that are more interesting and like you're saying emotionally engaging they pull you in and you feel what the characters feel
2: yeah and i think that also people approach movies uh in different ways when i went back to school uh back in 2008 9 and 10 um we're out in california and our professor um was good friends with ralph winter who Mm -hmm. uh would was a a producer, movie producer. And so he'd done all kinds of things. He's part of the Academy. And so he brought in the D V D set that the Academy had sent him to evaluate and yeah. judge all these things. And as he was walking through this stuff with us, he's he's showing us and he's looking at us and he's saying, Okay, watch how they develop this, watch how this the the cinematographer did this or there's Jeff's word again. Uh, watch how this did this. You'll notice this. And, you know, to watch with somebody that's educated mm-hmm. was radically different than me sitting there watching, you know, in, in, in my living room. And I, one of the things about myself, I know that when I watch a movie, I give myself to the movie for those two hours. And I jump in so that I can I can feel the movie. So when I watched, like, Band of Brothers, that HBO miniseries, oh, yeah. you know— by the end of it, I felt like I knew all those guys in Easy Company and I Mm -hmm. I knew their stories and knew their families and knew where they started and how they come together and they, you know, they fight this common good, you know, and if you watch it for the, the, the science of it, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to have a different impact of it. If you're watching for the skill of -hmm. it, you know, and, and, um, how they process production things. value and yeah, all that. that stuff mm-hmm. or how they tell the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night there was a thing on, um, Gary Marshall on ABC, the history or the happy days of Gary Marshall had tracked, you know, his Laverne and Shirley and happy days and, um, all the TV shows that he did, Mork and Mindy. And then it went into him doing Hollywood and all the movies mm-hmm. that he did. And they're talking about how, he always had this eye to do this and that, and they showed a scene from that movie Beaches how uh, when uh, the woman's dying at the end, she said, don't show my face. Hmm. People know the face of death. Show him Bette Midler's face watching me pass, and in the background on the beach, you see the sun setting, and it wasn't until last night that I would have hmm. never noticed that, hmm. and then I see it and think, oh, that's why they did that. Right. I get yeah. it. I just... I don't have that eye. I'm too busy to jump into the relationship of the story. Yeah. And that's where I go. You
1: know, I think one of the greatest surprises is when uh, movies unexpectedly hit that emotional cord yeah. with you. you know, there's a it's a perfectly valid category of movies that I call popcorn munchers, which is I just want to pay 850 50 to go sit in a heated recliner and shove popcorn in my face <laughs> and watch a movie, you know, on, on <laughs> Friday night because I'm bored. And yet sometimes those really hit home yep. and you find yourself filing away little quotes and little... Little scenes from those um, that stick with you, maybe for the rest of your life.
0: Um, so I, I think we can all, in what everything that we've said so far, I think we sort of all agree that there's value in TV and movies. I mean that that there's certainly nothing inherently bad about them. But then we get into this idea when when Christians are wanting to, let's just say, for example, Christians want to go to the movies, you know, and they see the, I guess it's a different different process now than it used to be when you look in the newspaper or you know you'd go up and look at the marquee or whatever you know when we're trying to decide what movie we want to go see at the theater or even sitting at home scrolling through netflix or whatever you might be on and there's this process of what should i watch and what shouldn't i watch and so maybe maybe we can we can answer those questions a little bit more but even before that what what do you think the process looks like to decide how to make that decision?
1: I had a, a really great conversation that I I reflect on with some friends in our home as we were watching a movie, um, Christian friends, and it was uh, it was one of the Lord of the Rings movies we were watching. Yeah, and the point came up that you know we as believers of all people. Actually, believe in the supernatural. We believe in things that we can't see, that we can't explain. Yeah, forces of good and evil, and that's just fiction for most of the people watching that film, um, and obviously the characters and the specifics mm-hmm. are fiction. Um, and yet, for us, we have the unique opportunity for those things to um, put into our mind the sort of the the breadth. The ability to yeah. to see and think on those things and visualize some of those things. There's a lot of great imagery in those films that can help thinking about things in the past, things in the future, um, and they can really provide our mind's eye with some some helpful analogies for things that yeah. that we actually believe that aren't just works of fiction for us. And so I think we've got a unique opportunity there. And then with with content, and how do you judge content, mm-hmm. and how do you grade uh, acceptability or mm-hmm. usefulness of content. Um, obviously, like so many things in life, that's going to be different for mm-hmm. everyone. Um, that's There's going to be a scale of things that are beneficial for you or acceptable to you that aren't for others, yeah. uh, and that's okay. Um, for me personally, it often boils down to not whether there is... Uh, evil or objectionable content in the movie, but how is it portrayed? Oh, is yeah, evil portrayed as evil, yeah, um, or is evil glorified? Uh, and you see that in that's some a, like, of point. some of the hardest movies for me to watch, and I usually don't even make it through them. Are some of the anti-hero movies? Oh yeah, that's where a big, you've real got you've one. got the leading character. Um, you know his name's on the poster. He's in every shot. He's the protagonist, and yet he's a terrible, terrible person, or she is a terrible, terrible sure. person. And that's not just a matter of what's in the film. You know, there was terrible stuff in Schindler's List, for example. Um, But it's more about, okay, there's terrible stuff in the world as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are you going to do with it as a filmmaker? How are you going to present that to us? And how do you want us to react to that? Uh, And for me, that's sometimes where I have a lot of difficulty is when we're expected to um, take the objectionable content and identify it with the hero or the protagonist is where that line falls for me.
0: yeah I, th- I think that's a really good point. The question about is is evil portrayed as evil in the in mm-hmm. the film and, um, and and I think it's not apples to apples to make this comparison but if you do if you think about it in, in this way, if everything in the Bible was made into a movie or a series of movies or whatever you know and, and every detail that's in the Bible was in the movies, you know and that, those would be some there'd be some scenes that would be difficult or impossible to watch. And most Christians would, if that scene by itself was in something else, would say, I'm not going to go see that movie because I know that happens in that scene. And so again, it's not apples to apples. I'm not saying, you know, I think, um, I think reading something versus watching it portrayed by actors are, are certainly different, but the, it touches on what you said, which is, these there's there's evil in the world, and there the true reality of the world around us and the stories that we'll tell includes hard things to to see, and and yeah. sometimes that might you you might watch it in a movie. Yeah,
1: and I've answered people that way before. Certain times about you know why would you watch that? That's yeah, that's terrible. Look at what's in that movie. If the point is yeah, and it's portrayed as terrible, mm-hmm. it's reminding us that it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's different than. And it you know it sure was great to see that yeah. terrible thing. Yeah, uh, it's very
0: different.
2: Yeah, for sure. What about you, Lance? I, I, just listening to Jeff talk, uh, I can appreciate it because my mind went a completely different direction than where you went. You know, I, I remember when Disney came out with Maleficent, uh, and it really was the first time that Disney celebrated a princess that was not, mm-hmm. you know, the upstanding hero or protagonist of the show. And what was Disney doing in terms of now we're celebrating Maleficent? Uh, so it's kind of what you were just mm-hmm. thinking. As I was listening to you ask Jeff the question, where my brain was going is this: is I don't I don't need Hollywood uh, to TV or movie. I don't need it to affirm my faith, um, and I expect non-believers to act like non-believers. And so they're going to betray non-believers. And so it doesn't even need to be that they live out my faith. Um, I draw the line at things that would attack my faith. And so Mm. if if there are things that are downright offensive to me, then obviously I'm not going to engage that. Um, You know, part of my age um, is I grew up on Rocky movies. And so I love Rocky movies and yeah. I, you know, I can, I can make fun of them, but you know, Rocky had one of the greatest marriage examples uh, mm-hmm. I've ever heard in a movie. And it was when Polly is talking with him and the meat locker about, I don't get it. I don't get what you see in my sister. And Rocky makes the comedy and goes, well, it's like this, she's got gaps and I've got gaps. And when we come together, there's no gaps. What an incredible picture uh, of a husband and wife complimenting one mm-hmm. another uh, in their weaknesses and that their 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 weaknesses are the strengths of their partner and they come together and there's no gaps. Yeah. You know, that's truth. And, yeah, it's <laughs> said from Rocky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get it. But, you know, the there was another one in Rocky 5, which most people hated and I get it. I <laughs> just love Rocky. Uh, but in Rocky 5 where he finds out that their accountant stole all their money and they, they're back and they don't have any money, And his son is struggling. And he makes a comment to his son and said, you know, we're home team. You always have home field advantage Mm. with me. And you don't ever need to worry about me turning on you Mm. um, or jeering you or any of those things. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, Ellen and I have been married 26 years. And we still talk about that no gaps thing. And I've done that with my kids. We've got home field advantage with each other. We go on the road. We leave our house. We're we're on the road. But when we're together, we're, we've got home field advantage with mm-hmm. each other, and and that's just truth. And that's a storyline inside of that. Uh, and uh, you know, you can find those storylines in almost anything.
0: Right. Yeah. And and the the idea that truth, God's truth, is is true no matter where you see it or hear it. Yeah. Truth and, is truth. Right. Um. I you know, I, I think part of for my process in determining what what is good or not good to watch the word gratuitous comes to my mind is and and i think about like you know whether it's um whether it's violence or it's sexual content or it's um you know the the what what would you call it like the Uh, you know, we we would when we talk with little kids, we say the bathroom humor type stuff. You know what I'm, you know what I mean, and and just dirty humor. Um, and I think, I think like the word gratuitous to me means is it there just to glorify the the sort of filth or the or you know the um sinfulness of it? You know, yeah,
2: appeals to the flesh.
0: Yes, um. Or is it there because it's necessary, you know? And some of those things, it's like it's never necessary to do blank in a movie, you know, or to show that or to talk about that. Um, but, but there can be something in a movie that's gratuitous in one movie and necessary in another, I think, or, or helpful to the story, I guess. And I think that, to me, is kind of goes back to Jeff's question of does it celebrate evil? Does it call evil evil? Um, does it does it celebrate good and and you know, show those two things in sort of juxtaposition or, or whatever? So or contrast, I mean so to me that's part of the that would be part of that process of filtering, okay, which what's what can or can't I watch or um and it and it comes down to does it does it celebrate things that don't need to be in there? Does it put things in there that don't need to be in there? Just you know, you think about what what ha- what i've seen happen with tv exploding as movies have sort of dwind- dwindled a little bit in popularity because now everybody can stream from home and so you get a lot of these there was a time when straight to video was a bad thing you know mm-hmm. when a movie came out and it went straight to video it would go, go to vhs and it was like Ooh, that movie's not going to be good and now you see these movies that go straight to netflix you know they release on online you know and you can watch it at home and with that movement, I think a lot of networks and a lot of production companies are are recognizing the sort of their ability to put more content in those things that they couldn't put in when it was going to theaters or when it was they were trying to get it on network television, you know. And so they kind of there was at least a wave at one time when there was just a flood of... You know, bad stuff in TV and movies, um, and and I think you could you could always sense the goal of this is just to get more people to watch it. All they're trying to do is is get and and you, if you're gonna put something out that's new, it's got to grab people's attention somehow. So it's got to do something that they're gonna talk about, tweet about, you know. And so you've got to have some sort of appeal that that you don't get another movie. So there's shock value or there's sexual content or there's something that it just has to be furthered across the line than the other shows. And I, I think you, there's a, there's a, oftentimes it's real easy to sense that when you see it. And this is just trying to grab my well, attention. One of the
2: things that, um, yeah, I remember go back to the nineties and I think that was the first time that, we thought you really just can't leave the television on in the room mm. because of the subject matter, the vocabulary of what's going to be discussed. And part of that goes back to you know the president at the time and what he was going through. Uh, then it seemed like at least sports channels were, were safe, yep. and then you end up uh, with the Penn State coach and the assistant mm. coach at Penn State and what he went through. And all of a sudden, you can't even leave sports Center on mm. and leave the room with the kid in there uh, because it's of true. the the subject matter of what's being discussed, and I, I tell you, it you know, having grown up in locker rooms, having lived in a fraternity house, foul language um, has always kind of been in my uh, within earshot of me, yeah. and yet it still stands out to me, and I'm thankful for that uh, that it grabs me every time. But I tell you, in the last year the vocabulary that is hitting, uh, the airwaves, not cable airwaves, NBC, ABC, CBS. And I'm hearing more and more words that I'm thinking, when in the world did that become okay to say on TV? Mm -hmm. And and I do think there's a desensitizing to it. And I think that our, um, social media has done that too, because I mean, there's just foul language everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it still hits my ears like fingernails on a chalkboard. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm grateful for that. I don't want it to become so commonplace. Uh, But I think that's another thing that we're looking at in culture is that idea of pushing boundaries and eliminating taboos. um, That in some way, those taboos, I probably would have said were guardrails. And now we've said they were taboos. And the minute you change the label is the minute that you decide I've got to go after a different target. I've got to remove the taboo as opposed to seeing it as something beneficial. Yeah.
1: You know, another thing that I have have found important for watching movies is not just evaluating ahead of time based on the previews and things, whether you'll go, not just evaluating while you're watching what is this doing to me right now, but sort of that post viewing consideration Mm -hmm. of the movie. Maybe it's on the way home from the theater Maybe it's on your couch after it's over. Whether you're just going to leave that there and be done with it or whether it's going to have some influence over you, some lasting effect on you. Um, Disney put out a new hmm. piece, Dragon, back in 2016 that begins with a little boy in a rollover wreck with his car and his parents are killed there in the middle of the forest and he's all yeah. alone. And if you believe that I didn't go home mm-hmm. to my single-digit-year-old son and hold him closely yes, wow. and parent a little differently, Mm -hmm. uh, because of the effect of that movie on Mm -hmm. my life. Um, you know, I did. And I think we can, we can decide, uh, what room are we going to make for this to have impact on our lives or not? You know, some of them, we just need to say, no, that's not gonna, that's not gonna change who I am at all. But other, other times, yeah, we can be made better, uh, by allowing the um, the light that peeks through the cracks yeah. uh, in some of these films to to get a little foothold with us.
0: Yeah, I. It's funny you say that. I'm as you were talking about that. I was thinking about processing movies after I've seen them, and and in particular the movies that my kids are going to be mm-hmm. watching in the next few years, or or are watching now. I mean, you know, my daughters. Uh, we have Disney Plus, and she loves a lot of the Disney movies. You know that that are real popular, like. Tangled and Coco and uh, Frozen and and you know I remember at some point I was I was thinking about the movie Moana and Mm -hmm. uh, and thinking about the you know what message does Moana you know send and and things like that and I know there were people that saw a lot of you know pagan um, sort of like pantheism and. You know the water was a spiritual being and and a, a, to some degree a life force and there's all these, you know, all of these elements to it that were very unChristian in in that sense, and I, I know there were a lot of Christians who were kind of going, I don't know if I should let my kid watch this movie because of all these things, and and then I I read not not long after that I think it was Russell Moore, and uh, and he did a review on how great Moana was, you know, and this is a Christian leader, uh, who is very, uh, faithful to his, his Christian roots and wants to, wants to always view the world through a, a Christian lens and a biblical lens. And for him to say, Oh no, I loved it. And, and yes, you, there, there were these elements of it, but gosh, there were some really great things in the movie and talked, you know, highlighted some of the, the things that a, a kid watching it might take away and how how good that was and then i think even like frozen 2 that was the first movie i took Elliot to see in theaters and we went and she was all excited and we went and sat in the theater and i remember kind of sitting through it going god there's a lot of like this you know again spirits were you know the sort of god spirits were like these you know earth wind fire and water or something like that like earth wind and fire not earth yeah. wind and fire or captain planet you know <laughs> no but it was like these four elemental spirits or, or whatever and and um, and and I was thinking about God, that's this is kind of like this is kind of a weird I don't know it, it's kind of goofy and and I'm just not real sure it wasn't some other religion necessarily that's being sort of preached to my daughter but it's just there's it's hard to you know navigate that as a Christian. How does this fit into a Christian worldview and all that? And then I again I I read a, a review and it, gosh, it might have been Russell Moore again, I forget, but it was the Gospel according to Frozen, and it mm-hmm. talked about and it highlighted the ways that you could actually see a gospel message in it. And and it was when I read it in that article, it was clear as day. It was like, oh my gosh, yeah, there's like this this character who sacrifices herself for her people. And, you know, there are some other layers to it. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That's, you, you know, so, you know, as Elliot grows up and I'm trying to teach her more and more about Jesus, here's one more thing I can point to. Jesus is sort of like when, you know, Elsa in Frozen sacrifices herself, you know, for her people, puts other people mm. in before herself. And, it, and all of a sudden it was like, gosh, this movie that speaks nothing of the God of the Bible or of Jesus and even has some kind of weird, you know, perceptions of the divine or whatever actually has a message that's very much like the gospel in it that could, could very much relate the gospel uh, to the gospel. And so I think that's an interesting part of the experience of watching movies and TV as well is you can, there are, there are times when you can actually see those Christian, again, it's truth is truth, you know? And if it's, if it's being communicated through something that isn't necessarily itself biblical, that doesn't mean there can't be truth that's biblical still
2: in it. You know. So but you would think that threads of redemption, yes, uh, threads of new birth, that's a great threads yeah. of forgiveness, threads of grace, threads of overcoming, threads of uh, of of climbing the insurmountable. Yes that those threads are always going to appeal our hearts. And it goes back to Ecclesiastes. We've got eternity in our mm-hmm. hearts. And so I think there is a yearning for that. I remember taking Taylor to go see um, Hunger Games yeah, when that came out. And I'm sitting there and was pretty disturbed by the show, uh, not the content as much as the message, that you've got adults who are watching adolescents kill each other for entertainment to see who's the survival of the fittest and so forth. And you know, I'm sitting there afterwards with Taylor and saying, Well, what'd you think of the movie? Well, I loved it. Okay, why did you love it? I'm trying to at no point did my my young adolescent son say, you know, it really set the adolescent up for failure that we exist only for the entertainment of adults and our lives are expendable. And so, at one level, I'm like, okay, good. He didn't see that, <laughs> you yeah, know, right, kind of thing. And so, you recognize that part of what we've got to do, I think, as parents, uh, when we engage these things, uh, is how do we help our kids see themes mm. that are in those things. Um, That's a great point. You know, part of my decision was all their all their friends are seeing the movie, and so if I want them to be able to engage that conversation. Do I allow him to see the movie? And mm-hmm. if I do, under what's what's the context that I'll let him see the movie? Okay, we're gonna go see it, but I'm gonna see it with you, and then we're gonna talk about it afterwards, kind of thing. I think there's real benefit to that. That
0: no, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. I think that that speaks to something that we often, I think, overlook, which is especially when talking about our kids. Letting you know, are we gonna? Are we worried that that movie or that show is going to teach our kids something we don't want them to learn? Versus are we going to teach our kids? Mm -hmm. Because there's going to be a time when they're going to, I mean, that's the whole point of raising kids is that they're going to, you're going to send them out into the world on their own and you can't protect them from the messages of the world and the, the media that they're going to be exposed to forever. And at some point, are they equipped to go out and face those things, view those things and have the filter to, to learn, you know, and, and to see truth and to, reject what's not true at the same time, you know? And so I think that's a great point is, is learning to have those conversations and, and teaching and equipping our kids to, to do that.
2: You know, Netflix had that series came out, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago called 13 13 Reasons Reasons. Why. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, every, every kid's talking about it. We've got Netflix. Um, and so how far am I going to go to try to keep, you know, my daughter, Uh, would have been the one to watch it, not my son. I think he was already maybe in college, but uh, for her, you know, can I really lock it down so that she can't see it? I I could work really hard at that, but it doesn't mean she couldn't grab a friend's phone and watch it. And so, you know, what's the message of that and how do we help with that? And so – um, I remember Ellen and her watching it, and we, we limited how many episodes could be watched at one time, and it had to be discussed and interacted with at the end of each episode. And I'm sure there's a lot of parents, some probably listening, that that would really disagree with that decision. And, right. and part of what I would say is, um, you know, part of being made in the image of God, which is what Jeff started with today, is we've got an autonomy, and you've got to figure out there's no right answer uh, for every family on this deal. Yeah. And so for us, it was something that we decided that we wanted to proactively take on so that we could give a context and an understanding for it, as opposed to allowing our adolescent yeah. daughter to create the context or her classmates to create the context. Uh, and we wanted to help shape the message yeah. and, and what it, it led to. And I, there were some great, great, great conversations, that came out of that, that I'm, I'm really grateful that my wife was able to have with my daughter in that. But those are hard conversations, you know? Yeah. And our options are there's hard conversations all around us, and we can choose to stick our head in the sand or we can choose to take them on. Yeah. But either way, they're coming at us. Yeah, at
0: some level, it's like, which hard conversation do you want to have? Yeah. Do you want to have the hard well, conversation of teaching Yeah. on the front end, or do you want to have the hard conversation of trying to you know, sort of clean up the mess of, okay, this this got out of hand, I didn't get a chance to, you know, like you're saying, the example yeah. where a kid is going to go see it outside of your ability to interact with them on it, and then you've got to try and, I guess, reshape their thinking right. after the fact. So I think that's a really good example.
1: You know, Hunger Games, you mentioned, is actually kind of an interesting test case for several of these ideas. Um, that That horrible situation and horrible violence that you see in those movies... Isn't portrayed as good. It's a terrible, terrible thing. You look at the way the the government system has failed these kids, and look at look at what their families have been forced into. It's never portrayed as a good thing, and yet to a you know to a preteen or a younger teenager watching it, they're not going to take that away from it. They're going to take away, oh, cool, look at that. Right. And you look at that explosion. Look at that weapon he built, um, which again kind of goes back to that's not what you want to take away from mm-hmm. that movie. And so, if you can help them understand in those post-viewing conversations, like you were talking about, hey, what was really wrong with that? Yeah. Why was that really a terrible thing that was happening? Um, is the way to salvage some of that. Yeah.
2: This week with the murder hornets it made me think of the <laughs> were they called tracker jacks or something? Yeah. yeah. It made me think, oh, Hunger Games prepared <laughs> us for this moment.
0: <laughs> well, I do want us to 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 get a chance to talk about social media as as we. Um, have that in this episode and and we've we've had a chance to talk about TV and movies and and I'm glad we talked through that process of you know what's good what's not and how do I how do I make that decision and, and that a lot of that's going to carry over and apply to social media but you know the big difference I think f- between social media and everything else we've talked about so far is where you know sports and music and TV and movies all are the things that are happening around us and that we have a chance to, you know, partake in them and engage in them. And then, you know, we're not watching movies all the time. We're not listening. Some of us are listening to music a lot. But, you know, those are things that we sort of pick up and then put back down and pick up and put back down. Whereas it seems like increasingly social media is, it's not the thing that we do for a time. It's where we live, you know, and especially this season during quarantine. I mean, it's been... For a lot of people, it has been the only way to interact with other people, and so social media, at some at some level, is like all of these other things. But but yet, at another level, it's it's something bigger and something different, and especially for young people, people who are you know teenagers now. Well, I think probably anybody you know who's my age or a little younger, and then down is it's just going to be a way of life for the for forever, and they'll never really have a season of life where they don't remember social I, I can remember not being on social media, but but people younger than me, just a little bit younger than me probably don't have much of that. So as we talk about social media, first of all, you know, I, I would like to hear you, you know just briefly what's your involvement for each of you in social media? How much do you use it and and where do you you know use it? So Jeff, What's your level of engagement? Well, at one level, I manage the
1: social media accounts for the church. Right. Uh, I've done that for some other businesses and publications over the years. And so I've got some professional engagement with it, um, understand the workings of the system and the you know, the analytics and the planning and the processes that go into all of that. Uh, and as you said, in some ways, people are just living there right now. And so we've got a level of necessity for engaging with it that way. Um Personally, I'm far less fond of it. Uh, if you look at my personal accounts, they're far less active. Um, I tend to have uh, less of a fondness for it than some, uh, and yet try to constantly balance that with our, in some level, need to be there. And so I live with that tension daily.
0: Yeah, for sure. Isn't I, uh, a little bit of an interesting sort of perspective to have for somebody who, like you yeah. said, does it professionally. But Lance, what about you?
2: You know, it's funny. um, I've lived a long time in my life without social media. Uh, And when I finally broke down and got it was while I was the college pastor here. And I'm sitting at a MSU women's soccer game. uh, And all of a sudden, all of our college students are sitting around me and there's about 40 of them. And I'm looking around and I became terrified that I probably only knew five of their names Mm. uh, because they had just all started coming that semester. And I thought, I I can't remember any of their names. And so I went home that night and started a Facebook account and then went and started tracking through and stalking and finding people so that I could click through their pictures and learn their names. That was the origin. So this is
0: probably 2006-ish. Probably,
2: yeah. Yeah. And so that was the origin to help me get to know people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I very much was – I wouldn't have used this word – uh, but I was very much, you know, that 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 peeper that was just watching and peeping yeah. on people. And I remember going down to a uh, a Christian leadership conference, and that's when it changed for me. Is they really pushed the idea that uh, that pastors are viewed as pedestals and not real, and we don't understand yeah. real life. And sure, they can get up and talk about the Bible, but they don't know what it's like to have a kid that disobeys. They don't know what it's like to have a hard day. They don't know what it's like to do any of these things. Uh, And so how do we as pastors utilize social media to give people a glimpse into our lives that makes us more real, uh, that makes us more transparent and knowable, and at the same time gives us an opportunity for teaching? What are some things that we're doing in our home that God's led us to that we could pass on? And so from that time on, I started using it a lot more. Right. I started posting pictures uh, of me with the kids. I started posting pictures of us going out and doing things. And it wasn't that I was, you know, I guess the heartbeat was I wasn't doing things so that I could post it as mm-hmm. much as that I was doing things because that's what God was calling. I felt like God was calling me to do, and I was trying to document it. That if somebody sees me doing this, maybe somebody else thinks, you know, what I could do that. That that right. becomes manageable, uh, and so I think it made me more three dimensional.
0: Yeah. I, you know, personally, I probably spent time in sort of both of those, what y'all are talking about, both those perspectives. And there was a time when I was very active on social media. And whether it was, you know, in college, Facebook was kind of the the main thing everybody did, which was about the time you were talking about getting on it. And everybody I knew was on Facebook and using it. And and then, um, you know, I think Instagram – sometime after that and everybody was just posting at, at that time. I feel like everybody was just posting pictures of, you know, what they were doing and now it's, it's different. Now it's, it's not, if I'm doing something worth posting, then I'll take a picture of it. It's, it doesn't matter what I'm doing right now. I'm going to take a picture of myself and post that, you know? And it's, so it, it's evolved in that way. But uh, Instagram was, you know, I think I remember Instagram feeds were, you know, somebody taking a picture of the the football game they were at, or the, you know, the ping pong game that's happening in their garage with their friends, or the, you know, things like that. And now it's it's so different. But uh, but I would used Instagram and then um, and then Twitter, and and Twitter to me became the one that I sort of used the most. It was it was the one where I, I felt like I, I could go on there and get my my news. I could sort of catch you know, whereas. My parents would turn on the TV and watch the news. That was when I would open Twitter and look at you know what was going on, and and then all the sports accounts that I'd follow, sports news and things like that. I could I could get on there and check that, and then um, and then certainly part of that was what my friends were saying and people with you know posting their thoughts that were real funny or whatever, and and so I there was a time when I did that a lot, and then from when it came to ministry, I thought this is a like you're saying this is a good opportunity to engage with people and to let people see me and then also to keep up with people that I am trying to minister to and students and different things like that. And then I've also had, uh, experiences or I shouldn't say experiences, not like singular experiences, but I've had seasons of really feeling like it's just not worth it. (laughs) It's just not a good Mm -hmm. for, and it's, and it's, I realize it's different for everyone. It's not, this isn't a universal thing that I'm talking about, but just going, I, this is sucking my brain, you know, away from everything else. That all my attention is just being pulled into social media, and and I didn't like that. And so, you know, at different times I've deleted Instagram from my phone. I've uh, I've sent my Twitter username and password to a friend and had him change my password. So I've been and I've that's still the case actually. That happened. Over, that's been I don't know how long now, more than a year, um, where I've been I've locked myself out of Twitter so that I can't. You know, get on that, and and um, that's why you haven't replied to me. <laughs> that's that's what it is. All those, all those, uh, you know, things where I haven't responded
2: to you. It's just I wonder that's, why that's you kept it, posting about me. how great Texas was. Oh gosh, University I've of Texas.
0: Been, it's definitely a case of being hacked. So, <laughs> um, but but I, you know, that's been that's been my experience or my relationship with social media is to is to go back and forth between. I'll try and utilize it, and, and as a, as a high school pastor, I do feel like. I can't not use it ever at all. And you know, right now we're posting senior testimonies on Instagram and I have to get on it and I'm doing that on my computer, jumping on and posting it. But man, I do feel like I'm not connecting with them as much as I could be. I'm not and they, they kind of live there. A lot of students kind of live there. So it's hard, but that's my bad. And so we'll kind of talk about some of that, how we think through that. But um but yeah, that's my experience personally is just some I've, I've used it a lot in the past, but I just I have a hard time with it. And so, so that I, that does kind of lead us into then, what are the what are the reasons that you think it's good for a Christian to engage beyond what you've said, Lance, about as a pastor ministering? But just even for like somebody who's not a pastor, not in ministry, what are the what are the positives of it, and and how can it be used for good? You know, Lance used the term becoming
1: three-dimensional, and I certainly buy into that. Um, People in our church family, for example, uh, who, uh, due to time or location or differences in lifestyle or whatever it may be, I'm just never going to be in their home, I can still see uh, when they're celebrating an anniversary, if they've chosen to share that, Uh, I can still be... um, aware of things going on in their life that I can be praying for, or that I can shoot them a text message and congratulate them for, uh, because it provides that um, window um, of information that we choose to share anyway, um, which is obviously not the full, well-rounded picture of who we are. Uh, but it does give us that ability to stay connected with more people in more ways than we could uh, ever do just in, a, in an interpersonal sort of relationship
0: yeah
2: you know I, I think about it um there is a world um out there through social media that is can be a, an incredibly uh spiritual soul feeding thing you know I, I you know I I, I fear not. that's the wrong word I'm really grieved by Ravi Zacharias's health um, and the news that came out this week, but to follow him on Twitter, um, and to see his updates and what it links to and the spiritual growth. And there certainly, uh, there are thousands of devotionals that you can follow on that and all that stuff's encouraging. I mean, all that is, is great. Now there is a, you know, yesterday, with it yesterday, Jerry Stiller died. It makes me yeah. think of the airing of grievances from, from Seinfeld <laughs> days. And Twitter is a world of airing of grievances. Oh, and, I mean, people can argue and be hateful, and and that's certainly true. And I, I don't follow a lot of that stuff, right? obviously. But you know what? It is where I get my news, talking about what you're mm-hmm. saying. Uh, I haven't – I don't know that I've ever had a subscription to the newspaper. Um, I read the news I want to read. And so I get – I get 140 or now 280 characters to sell me on why I would want to open this up and read it. Uh, I get a ton of sermon material from the internet, you know, illustrations, what's going on, uh, grabbing this or that, and how I can find that stuff, uh, which makes it makes scriptural truth uh, current. That's what's going on in our world and and tying it in. So um, I use it. I like it. Facebook tends to be for pictures. Uh, for me, I know a lot of people use it to sell stuff or cook stuff or take pictures of food or recipes or whatever. Right. Um, But, the Twitter thing, I I think, is a source of information and a source of spiritual encouragement. Hmm.
0: Well, you know, I I was going to ask the question and I don't know if it, I think, to some degree, we've we've kind of answered it and it it may not even be a good, a a well-phrased question, but, I, what I was going to ask is, do you think that social media, given when you weigh the positives and the negatives, and I think people are pretty aware of both, you know, and, and probably more the negatives, but do you think it's a net positive at the end of the day, and 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 can you say yes and still use it? You know, yeah. I guess, that, does that make sense?
1: It does. I think the jury's still out on that. Yeah, um, and it may always be out on that. You know, it's a medium. It's right there in the name of it.
0: Right. It's a carrier
1: of information. Um, is language a net positive? <laughs> that's good. That's I, I a, don't know. Is a photography analogy. a net positive? You know, you can go down that list. Um, I have been, I've been around the internet for a long time, and there was the internet was sort of this great leveler. You know, if you could make a web page you were just as on the web as a CNN, for example. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. The guy in his closet was the same as the multi-million dollar corporation. And social media is sort of the ultimate expression of that. Um, everybody's a platform. Everybody's a product. Right. And the the longer I look at it, the more I wonder whether Basketball Dude 1080 needs to be a platform <laughs> or product that I see and care about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think for every positive, there's a negative. And for me, they, they kind of balance out to a zero sum, mm-hmm. but because I'm undecided. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I can stay in touch with lots of people that I just would never see. Right. The counter side of that is how are we designed to build relationships with people? How many, what's our capacity for relationships with people? And for information. Can I really actively care? Yeah about the thousand people that are on my Facebook list, or am I designed to actively care with, you know, 30 some closer relationships of people? Um, so I think for every positive, there's a negative. And, and for me, I just don't know. Hmm.
2: You know, I think about, um, with everybody that you follow, you're giving them an avenue into your brain, uh, which is why you got to be very selective of what those voices are. Um, I read a lot of different views on things. I think it helps give me a better understanding uh, of what's going on um, around us. Now, I don't want to follow the people that are maniacal and (laughs) given to wild extremes, but you know what? There's a lot being, go back to, um, I mentioned this uh, Sunday, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Mm -hmm. uh, who was, um, who was shot. And you know what? There are a lot of thoughtful conversations going on. Now there's a ton of not terrible stuff out there right now too, but you know what? For me to find the opportunity to read firsthand conversations of, uh, of African American brothers and sisters who are struggling with yeah. it, that apart from their perspective, I will never ever understand, yeah and true. so what can I gain from them what do mm-hmm. i what do i what can I learn that the Lord can use to mold me and shape me in constructive ways um, that if it weren't for Twitter, I wouldn't have those benefits mm-hmm. quite honestly yeah. um at the rate that I do now, and so when I read some of those things that you know, Christianity Today picks up, or Relevant picks up, or yeah. um, or Gospel Coalition picks up, any of those kind of uh, of Christian based faith based sites, uh, is we've got the opportunity to learn. Uh, I don't need, I don't need social media to rob me of peace. Mm-hmm. I do not need social media to rob me right. of joy. I don't need to become obsessed with social media. I don't need to allow social media to ruin my day. Mm-hmm so it becomes something that i can i don't need to be a giver too much to it i can be a taker yeah. and i'm comfortable being a taker from it and so what are the things that i can take from it and how can i can i maximize that
0: yeah what do you, i think the the this will be the last kind of main question that that we focus on but i think it's an important one because as i mentioned earlier the the amount of young people who will never know life without social media um, it is it, it, you know it's it, almost every one of them now, but there is a generation older than them raising them, right? Their parents who didn't grow up with social media. I think more and more that generation is getting involved with social media, but they, the the, we said this in a in a series where we spoke to parents. The student pastor spoke to parents about social media, which was you know, parents right now are sort of pioneers in navigating parenting with social media. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably, for a lot of our people, I think is probably one of the bigger questions about social media is what does it look like to raise my children with social media to be wise and as they engage in social media and things like that. So, you know, that I think is the, the big question Uh, that sort of hangs out there about social media for us. So what do you, what are, we can't obviously talk forever about it, but just what are some things that come to mind, principles and things that stick out to you about parenting with social media?
1: There's a fantastic quote I was uh, busily looking up over here while you were talking um, by Douglas Adams. He's an author, um, sci-fi author. And this is rung true with almost everybody of every age I've ever shared it with. Um, I've shared it with 90-year-olds, and they've laughed about it. Um, and he's got basically the, uh, a set of three rules that describe our relationship with technology. One, anything that is in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and just a natural part of the way the world works. You know, none of us in here think about electricity or air conditioning as technology. It's yeah. just the way the world is, and yet that wasn't true for our grandparents, for example. Two, anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary, and you can probably get a career in it. Uh, and I think of all these things that for most of us include the Internet and social media uh, as part of these new and exciting things, but now I'm past that and I'm looking at some of these newer trends in social media, networks that pop up and you sign up for them and they're only you know hot for a month or two before you're on to the next big thing. And number three is anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. <laughs> um, and so I think that that really rings true to everyone I've ever that's, shared yeah, that that's with. that's so true. Um, and so for parents who are in that, man, I just don't get that. And that's all that's wrong with the world today phase of looking at technology that their kids are up and coming and ready to start engaging with and interacting with. Um, You have got to be intentional in, to whatever degree you're able, understanding what's going on, uh, whether it's the the technology and the process of it or the uh, emotional engagement of it. Why is that interesting to you? Why do you want to be there? Even if it never ends up making any sense to you, um, trying to understand and get into the, the hearts and minds of your kids that's, about these yeah, that's things they're doing.
0: so true. Lance, what about you?
2: Oh, uh, we screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> and Anna Catherine, if she were here, would say we screwed up because she's told us is that we gave it to her, gave her access to social media too young.
0: I'll tell you, it's interesting how many, how many teenagers I've heard say that or read in books it's, say that. Uh,
2: you know, we were new. I think we were How could you have it. known at some level? You know? you know, I remember the first rules we gave our kids on social media was you are never to evaluate another person. You are never to invite evaluation of yourself. Um, those were the first two things. And we were learning. You know, we also, our kids had cell phones earlier than they should have. Um, part of that had to do with, we were getting rid of a landline mm-hmm. and, you know, we didn't want to leave our kids at home without a phone. I mean, so, you know, I look back and think, man, we made a lot of mistakes. And I talk to parents now, there are several families in our church that are kind of on the, uh, that have all teamed up together to make this commitment that they're not going to give uh, their kids social right. media access until a certain age, man, way to go parents. Uh, I wish I wish we had done that, right? Because once we gave our kids access, it would be really terribly difficult to take it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, hold off as long as you can on that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, of all the literature I've read, and I have, I feel like I have read a lot on this, as a you know, as a youth pastor, I think the the things that you have to recognize is. Obviously, human nature, but human nature for teenagers and and the realities that exist uh, that teenagers are more inclined to take risks based on the way their brains are wired and, and are growing, you know. Uh, and and so I was just thinking about that question: is is social media a net positive or a net negative? And i I was wondering why do i why do I feel like it's a net negative? Why does that why is that where I lean? And I think the reason I lean that way, and I am not saying I am never going to change my mind on that or never going to see it differently but the reason that that's kind of where my my mind goes is because i think social what social media is so good at doing if that's the the right way to phrase it is it magnifies our mistakes and our and our foolishness i think a lot more than it magnifies our our wisdom and our successes you know when people do things well and wisely that tends not to be that doesn't go viral as much as somebody's blunder, you know, or somebody doing something mm-hmm. uh, in poor judgment and and teenagers, by nature are going to we you can call it poor judgment, but it really is f- physiological and and it's their brains are wired to explore more and take more risks. So what might look like foolishness and and maybe it is foolishness, but it's also just them trying to learn the world. And as they do that, they are going to make decisions that the internet won't let them forget. That won't let that won't let them go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that to me is the the that's the great danger of social media for teenagers is you are in a stage of life when you're trying to figure out the world. You're trying to learn the world. You're trying to learn yourself. And in doing that, you're going to test things. You're going to try things out. And we've talked about, the student pastors, we've talked about how um, we can laugh about watching the some of our middle school and our high schoolers. You know, they walk in the doors every week, and they're wearing a different style of clothes each week as they try and, is this going to be the look for me? Is this going to be the look for me? And, and we did that in high school and our parents did that when they were in high school you know is we were trying to figure out if if you know when i was in high school is am i uh am i a punk rocker am I a, a prep am i an athlete am i whatever you know and, and so you try the different looks and and eventually you'd find the one that you felt most comfortable in or whatever and then you're good to go but you, the the ways that you tried the other ones first didn't live on in infamy, you know, maybe in a picture, you know, maybe somebody took a picture that's not digital, <laughs> you know, that's not <laughs> online. Um, and, and so in some sense, being a teenager today is no different, except that all those things you're trying get put up on the internet forever. And so, you know, young people are trying new things it's not just the clothes they're trying it's the behaviors and it's the you know it's what their friends are doing and and so there's all kinds of risks that they're taking but they're doing it live streamed or they're doing it you know and taking a tiktok video of it or they're or it's or there's a picture of it on instagram and and i think to me that's what is so difficult for a parent is recognizing you're you're probably not going to change the way your child thinks while they have the phone in their hand and the with social media, and and it's hard because I think at some level it's yeah maybe wait as long as you can to let them have it, but also recognizing that that I man I, I'm gonna get here someday, but it would be really hard to tell my teenage daughter you can't have social media when every one of her friends has it. Mm-hmm. I recognize how, how much of a f- battle that will be. But it's, it's partly that, but it's partly trying to – you want to let them be a teenager and, and have the experiences that they need to have that you had in a way that's safer and that their mistakes won't live on forever.
2: You know, I, I've made both of my kids give me their passwords – So that should something pop up that needed to be deleted, I didn't have to wait to get a hold of them. That I had immediate access. That's one really good idea right there. um, That gave me the ability to delete that stuff. I remember one time, one of my children, who will remain nameless, uh, (laughs) posted (laughs) posted something. And we were driving to Colorado Mm -hmm. um, with some friends, and they weren't with us. And, I mean, I was... I saw what happened. I thought, oh no, oh no. And um, we got to delete that. I'll delete it now and I will talk about it later. later, Yeah. um, That we need to get this off. It reminded me of this thing. I just looked up this date. It was from 2015 uh, where this female 30 year old uh, was traveling to South Africa. Uh, and she only had 170 followers so you know what could it hurt she she wrote a pretty harsh thing about somebody on the airplane next to her and then she was at London Heathrow and wrote two things that are really harsh and you know what what could it do she only had 170 followers Mm -hmm. and then she didn't have internet from London down to South Africa and when she turned on her phone tens of thousands of angry responses and she loses her job and you know it, it, the idea was i'm sharing with 170 people you know and it goes broader than that and the stories of people with cell phones taking pictures they shouldn't take sharing stories they shouldn't share and the idea always happened well i thought it was safe mm-hmm. and that becomes our message nothing's ever safe once you throw it out there into the universe it's out there and it, and it becomes fair game and the
0: tech companies want to sell that message too i mean that was why snapchat was invented was you can take a picture that will only last 10 seconds and then it's gone forever.
2: And what Snapchat did was now you can take a screenshot and the best you can do is if somebody takes a snapshot of your screenshot, a screenshot of your Snapchat, uh, is it (laughs) notifies the person. Mm -hmm. Okay. I sent you a picture for four seconds that I wanted you to see. Okay. So now I know you took a screenshot of it. I've still lost control of the picture. Can't do anything with it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, Man, it's just a dangerous thing. It feels like a minefield. It does. and it um, really does. And how do we help our children make it through the minefield without significant repercussions that they will carry with them for the rest of our life? We all did stupid stuff when mm-hmm. we were in high school, right? And Or junior high. Or college. <laughs> after college. Depending on how what long that it took to you to learn. <laughs> <laughs> right? But... At some point, when you get to the end of adolescence, what we would hope for is this, is that the mistakes that we faced did not offer us lifelong consequences. You know, is how do we make it through that process of uncertainty, of identity discovery, of identifying who we are uh, establishing our values and who we are, and allow us to move into that in a way that is is a healthy way. Right. We're all going to fail, and so the question is, you know, I did lots of stupid stuff too. We just didn't have cell phone cameras, you know, and exactly. so that stuff wasn't recorded. Exactly. And now, you know, I remember when I got on Facebook, whenever that was, two thousand six, and I saw that when you break up with somebody on Facebook, <laughs> it would put so and so ended a relationship, and the little emoji was a broken heart. Yes. I'm like, oh, my heavens, I'm so thankful I never broke up in the social media era. You know, it's just one of those things. It is here to stay. It's not Mm -hmm. going away. Mm -hmm. And so we better figure out how to use it. And if we're not going to invest to figure out how to use it, we better get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And if you've got kids who are going to use it, parents, you really don't have an option. You've got to figure out how to use it uh, because your kids are desperate for it. Uh, And they don't know it. And they're not going to say, hey, will you help me with this? Mm -hmm. You better step in and intervene Mm -hmm. and not wait for the invitation. It's true.
1: You know, I think you guys have hit on the biggest um, external danger associated with it, which is the world taking these seemingly fleeting moments and running with them forever. Um, I think the biggest internal danger isn't just limited to adolescence. Um, It's something that I think every one of us can still continue to struggle with, and that is... um, that because it's people we know, it's names and faces, it feels like reality. Um, And we tend to base our decisions about where we should live, how we should act, what we should drive, what we should eat, based on community pressures and community feedback, and that's just part of the natural order of things. And with movies, like we were talking about earlier, it's easy to say, oh, that's Hollywood. I know that's Hollywood. That's not real. Um, that's superstars, that's fiction. Um, and yet, when I perceive your life through a seri- a year in your life, through a series of, you know, 300 carefully selected highlights, hmm. my perspective of you and your life is very, very skewed. And it can very quickly become reality to me that look how fantastic everybody else's life is. Um, look at the wonderful meals they're having, look at the great times they're having with friends. Wow, my life is all screwed up. I must need to be more like them. And so that's, I think, the internal danger. So true. And that's not adolescence. That's you and me sitting here today.
2: So let's move on. I think you're exactly right. And it's created an entire competitive model about how we do everything. What kind of party do I throw? How do I live up this this social setting? What is, and I'm I'm about to step on some toes in this, who can have the most elaborate one-year-old birthday party for their child? And now what we have is people that are competing with Mm -hmm. one another, and the competition always says, I don't measure up.
1: And they're not competing with one another. They're competing with this illusion of what one another really is. So good. Very true.
2: And you know, the other thing that I didn't think until I listened to you start talking was when I was a kid, if I didn't get invited to a party, I probably never knew it. Mm -hmm. And because of people documenting everything, you know, it's given rise to that whole fear of missing out FOMO thing. And you Mm -hmm. know what? Everybody knows when everybody is doing stuff now, which consequently means they know every time they're not invited to something. Because no no group of three or more gets together without it being documented and then all it does is communicate to everybody else, you don't have this, you don't have this group, you were left out, you don't fit oh, in. Yeah. And it's just wiping people out. That's that
0: absolutely true. I mean, we've 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 been in situations where, you know, we have friends who we did not exclude because we didn't want them to be somewhere. Maybe, you know, maybe we go somewhere and it just so happens that, you know, we drive by this person's house, they're out front, we stop, we hang out a little bit. And I've had the thought in my mind of, you know, maybe my kids are doing something real funny and I want to take a picture or whatever. And if I post that picture and everybody sees my kids and their kids playing together, Mm -hmm. then these people are going to recognize oh wait they did that and they didn't call us you know and i look i don't even have a group of friends that are petty and you know i don't i'm not saying yeah. anything negative about my friends but they but i think about that and go i don't want people to think they're being left out so i'm not going to do i'm not going to mm-hmm. post that which at the end of the day if i'm not posting something because of that it's I'm, no harm you know I, i'm not suffering for it but the fact that that's a radar that i have and that's something that we think about speaks to your point which is you i mean it's so easy to get offended to get your feelings hurt to hurt someone else in this climate of let's document everything we do and it's got to look super fun and interesting and and to run to run counter to that you have to you pay a price
1: um as i said earlier yeah. if you look at my personal things pretty boring um but when we have people over we don't usually facebook it or, or tweet it yeah or instagram it um and so there's there's that perception thing. When you're out there in the marketplace of what are you and what do you have to offer me relationally, um, you're going to pay a price for that.
2: Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. telling me you actually do have people over? I figured you know from happens. Facebook you just <laughs> <It> didn't <laughs> invite happens. anybody over. And now what I'm learning is you do invite people yeah. over. It's just not us. Yeah. You've been left out, Lance. Oh, I see that.
0: Um, okay, guys. I, I think that's all that we really have time for, though. Again, we could talk about this for a whole lot longer um, this has been, I think, a really interesting conversation and one that I hope has, has provided some level of encouragement and, uh, and maybe some education for people listening. So thank you guys for joining me. Uh, it's been fun. Hope to do it again soon. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.